Angeline and William, thank you for sharing your gift with us. Well, one of those ongoing conversations at our household uh, this winter and now summer involves something that was on the internet. Does that surprise you? Um, And this is a conversation between my daughter and I. Joe has kind of stayed out of it. Smart man I married. And it involves a a video that went viral of Richard Spencer. I assume you all know who Richard Spencer is. He's the one who coined the term alt-right and uh, leads the National Policy Institute and really has advocated for... um, He calls it a return to a nation that is exclusively white, and I'd like to know where that word return comes from because I don't think we have ever (laughs) been all white. That's an interesting ahistorical view of history. But he's he's a lightning rod, obviously. Uh, And the video is of... Inauguration Day, he was being interviewed on the streets in Washington, D.C. by um, uh, Australian, it was either BBC or NBC of Australia. And um, they're having a man on the street kind of interview. And so you see Richard Spencer and you see him answering questions. And they've just asked him about a pin on his lapel. And he bends his head down to look at it and begin to describe it. And it's a a pin of Pepe the the Frog. And if you don't know who Pepe the Frog is, it's a cartoon character. And it has become a symbol of the alt-right. It's become the the meme, the internet meme for uh, white supremacy, really. And so he's begun to explain that. And then all of a sudden, the frame is completely blocked because someone has come through wearing a black mask and punched him in the face and knocked him off. So it's an act of violence as he's describing this symbol that my daughter and I, and I have permission to talk about this conversation that she and I have over and over again uh, about that moment. And From her point of view, and I try to remain open-hearted and not go, oh my God, where did I fail as a parent? Oh my God, how did I fail as a parent? Try to listen to her, and she says, it is right that he gets punched and not be allowed to speak. And this is, uh, he actually, later on in April, uh, was part of the lightning rod of of the issues of free speech on campuses, and should he be allowed to speak, and uh, is it okay for students to protest, and is that an, well, anyway. So we have these discussions about violence and when is violence okay? And it really spirals into the age-old question of war and uh, is there ever justified war? Is there ever justified violence? Is it ever appropriate to shut someone up? And it's an ongoing conversation between us because there are no simple answers. And I think about 
So my intention for today's sermon, since we are looking at prophecy, was to talk about well-known prophets of peace. And I was going to lift up certain individuals and talk about their biography. And then it dawned on me that the work we have to do is, is also inside work. In fact, we heard a, a fair amount about that this week, those of us who are able to go to our UU camp point. And I thought, what's the good of talking about these revered, famous prophets of peace if we can't sort through what it means to be a prophet of peace in our own lives. So I'm going to make the case today that it is our job to be the prophets of peace and that that moment with Richard Spencer is, hopefully none of that will happen to us here, but if I really look honestly at my own life, there are moments when I do violence by stepping on someone's words or um, I was reactive a couple of times yesterday and you end up being reactive often with the people you love so it was people in my household that I roared back and it's made me think about so how can we be the, the hardest work is not having an opinion about Richard Spencer in that video the harder work that we have to do is how to be a prophet of peace in our homes as we're driving, as we choose not to flip off the person that cut us off. How, how often are we the masked person landing the punch? And I have to say, more times than I would like to admit and it's easy to be dismissive and go, well, you know, I really didn't hit someone. I, re- that, I was mad, so my email was. Or I hung up on them because they deserved it. And I, I would make the case that any work we do for peace really has to be on the smallest moment-by-moment motion of our lives. I'm sorry Alice isn't here to defend herself. (laughs) Because her argument is, his speech is so odious that it deserves to be silenced. I'm not going to go down the free speech rabbit hole. Instead, I'd say, the work we have to do, and this comes out of, so I taught a class at the point, and it was about mindfulness and how do you be First, what is mindfulness? And then how do you use that to be an activist? And I think it's about transforming each moment in our lives. So the ones in our lives who speak something that seems odious to you or is um, hurts your feelings or uh, is brutal in any way, How can we be creative and respond in a way that disrupts it without recreating and mirroring the violence? Because that's the case I make with Alice, that 
when you use violence to interrupt violence, you're merely mirroring what you say you dislike and hate and want to avoid. But darn, it's hard. It's really hard. I found a children's book called The Feelings of Peace. And it's this lovely, colorful book. And what it does is it talks about helping a child be aware of what peace feels like and goes through all the senses. So what does peace taste like? And it suggested really hot, fresh pizza with pepperonis and that cheese that's not too much but just right and is stringy and full of, you know, how they managed to make the commercials. And what does peace smell like? And it talked about flowers. And I thought, well, perhaps that really is a good place to start, to talk about what does peace not feel like? So when someone is aggressive to me or I feel my anger feeling up to to how to pay attention to how that really feels and the urge to punch someone. I think the urge may not ever go away and the urge to flip someone off and the urge to respond and that that's not terrible. So the effort we're doing here is not to make it go away but to notice it and then have more than one response than this or this or yelling or whatever, put-downs, labeling. So actually, I wanted to ask you to turn to each other. We did this a lot at the point, and I forgot we haven't done that much here in our congregation. So if you could find groups of two and three, and the question I want you to answer with each other Give each other a minute, and if there are groups of three, we'll give you three minutes so you each have a turn. And just say one, pick a sense, what you see, smell, hear, feel, taste, that reminds you of peace, that you know what peace tastes like, feels like, smells like, sounds like, maybe your favorite song. It may be the moment the bathtub is full, hot, you know it's the right temperature and about to get in. So would you take time and find some ones to talk to? Know them or not? Get up and meet someone new? And what does peace, taste, feel, smell? Pick a sense. I'm trying to decide if we should try and do this with microphones or if we can do it without microphones and I'll repeat it. Are you willing to, to shout out what, what might peace have meant for you? Quiet. Quiet? <laughs> do you ever get that? Oh, thank you, Roberto. I'll, I'll, I'll walk a mic with you. You take one side, I'll take the other.
the meadow lark. Anybody else? To me, it looks like a beautiful sunset. Joanne and I were discussing it, and we both came to the conclusion, if you sail, there are certain times on the water where it is, as she said, you're one with the moment. Watching and listening to a gentle, flowing stream. May I tell yours, William? William said that moment when you have a cup of coffee, it's just hot enough, you have the time, you're going to get to drink it. Oh, sorry, William. And Rebecca. Let's give credit where credit is due. Barb and I think it tastes like chocolate. <laughs> Anybody else? Someone oh, in you our group. backers here? Peach cobbler. Peace for me is to sit in the morning, 6 o'clock, outside with a cup of coffee and watch a wren feeding their little ones and flying in and out of the nest. You raised your hand. Oh, Oh, P oh, Kim was the peach cobbler author. Someone in our group said it smells like baby powder. <laughs> uh, to me, it smells like freshly mowed grass. Napping has been playing a larger role in my life, and I remember as a parent that moment when the kids are finally asleep. <laughs> finally. Anyone else have an urge to speak that didn't get a chance? Those are all lovely. So I want us to know how it, we all know how it feels, don't we? And I won't make us go through the exercise of what does it feel like when you don't have it. Instead, I'll tell you a story because I think part of being a prophet of peace and why we do this work in community is because I may be stuck somewhere in interacting with someone or in my relationship with this person or that person or the social justice work we're trying to do and someone has a fabulous idea that unlocks possibilities that I never would have imagined. So there is a man named Larry Ward, very successful businessman, uh, now reached the pinnacle of consulting so he can um, garner thousands and works with Fortune 500 con con uh, companies around the world, has lived in India and Hong Kong, so does this work on an international stage. That means he's also working cross-culturally and um, he tells a story of, so his family travels a lot, and he makes a very conscious effort to stay in touch with his immediate family. And one time he and his family 
went to Costa Rica for the Christmas holidays. And normally he would call home to check in on his parents and brothers and sisters during that stay away out of the United States. And he happened to be in a place where there was no cell service, there was one public landline, and one private landline. And the public landline, he, he, he used it at least a dozen times to call out and never could get it to work. And that led him to find out, is, are there any other phones I might be able to use? And was told about the private line, and that particular family was never home. They, too, were gone for the holiday, so he never got to make that call home. So they have a glorious Christmas holiday with the kids, and they're in fabulous Costa Rica. And he comes home, and he discovers that his mother has died. And he missed that moment. She not only had died, but had been buried. And he was heartbroken and immediately reached out to his father. Well, his father wouldn't answer the phone, wouldn't answer emails, and so he immediately traveled to see his father, and his father wouldn't even open the door. Go away! I can't talk to you now. So he knew his father was alive. And this went on for quite a while. He couldn't get through to his father. He was worried deeply. And then it stretched into months. His father would never see him. And he realized, you know what? My father is not emotionally equipped to deal with this grief. In their marriage, the wife was the one who always kind of took care of all of the emotional things, all the relationship So he had never developed a skill set to deal with this overwhelming loss and grief. And he didn't know how to be skillful. He didn't know how to let his son and other sons, there may have been a daughter or two, into his life. It was so overwhelming, he just had to shut it all out. And Larry said, you know, at a different point in my life, here's what my response would have been. Screw him. I'm trying to reach out to him and be nice. To hell with him. If he wants to be a a loner and hermit, but that's like stepping into Richard Spencer's space and punching him in the face. It's the same thing. So, What Larry Ward started doing was once a week sending flowers to his father. I don't know if he opened the door to the delivery guy. Didn't hear that part of the story. I keep thinking, well, how did that work out? (laughs) But we find out it does on some level work out because he also begins writing love notes to him in the mail. So that's that creative response. He did something different. And he said over time, he's been able to reestablish a relationship with his father, and his father's been able to work through the grief. And 
reestablish relationships within the family. And I just found that creative and thoughtful and um, has made me think about some of the estranged people in my family that I try to keep a hand out to, but now I've kind of gotten bored and tired of it and don't have a similar instance where someone won't even open the door. And I thought, well, what if I sent that person flowers? And I thought, no, part of being creative is I think the person in my life who's estranged is a cat lover. Tell me, please tell me that there is like there are blue apron where you can get everything delivered. You know, my children order toothbrushes that come every three months and shaving razors. There must be a cat food service or some loveyourcat.com that will deliver a little toy and some special food on it. What if I did that and wrote a love note? Or, or, or some other situation in your life where the person is not being peaceful and our job is to figure out where they are suffering. We know where we're suffering. Because I love how Larry Ward analyzed his dad. He realized it's not that his dad was angry at Larry. He just didn't have the skills to deal with the grief, which is what I experience with my family, with you all, with myself. When I respond poorly, when you respond poorly, it's often because we don't have the skills and no one has helped you name whatever the suffering is, the loneliness, the... So my point is that we are the prophets of peace. And that those seeds of peace, the moments of peace, come up one after the other all day, every day, 24, 7, 52 weeks a year. And we have to look for those times in our lives when we are the black, hooded, masked person punching someone in the face because that's what we want to do and see if we can think of of some other way to disrupt the violence and the hate and the pain and the suffering that's out there. And I've seen us do it thousands of times, so I don't mean to make it sound like this is some new idea. Because I've seen people do it over and over. Oh, you know, they're feeling this way and, and having deep compassion. So this is perhaps more reminder that we already do this work and our job is to keep doing the work creatively to be the prophets of peace. May it be so. We give our plate away. Hallelujah that we do this.